0: Want a better way to hire? We asked businesses across Australia.
1: We trialled Liam through Youth Jobs Path and then hired him as a design assistant. Liam is so keen to learn. He gets along with everyone and we get help with wage and training costs.
2: Louise gave me a go and now I've got a job.
1: Yeah, it worked for us.
0: To find motivated young staff and get up to $10,000 in assistance, search Youth Jobs Path. Authorised by the Australian Government Canberra, spoken by Jay Green, L Nobes and L Nicolaou. Hello, you're listening to the Devils in Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan and David Scott is back with us this week. Great to be back after a lovely trip to Samoa. Um, and our guest this week is Matt Felsman, who's Private Wealth Advisor at APP Securities. Now, Matt writes a great weekly note um, looking at the week ahead and you can subscribe to that, subscribe to that through uh, appsecurities.com.au. Matt, thanks for joining us on, on the show.
1: Yeah, hey guys, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me.
0: So let's uh, let's uh, start off, and I'm just going to run quickly through everything that's happened on markets this week. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> there's been nothing. Um, look, of course, we've had some interesting company results, um, and we'll take a, a, a look at those. Woolies, Qantas, uh, Blackmoors, I think, in particular. Um, we'll also talk about the, um, the uh, compensation for the taxi industry. Um, you know, there's. Plenty of people, I'm sure, whose jobs have been disrupted by various digital innovations and modern platforms and so on have been wondering where their handout uh, is when, um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars are now going to uh, to um, compensate taxi plate owners um, from state governments. Um, but first... Um, we're going to look at the incredible quiet that we're seeing on on global markets. So just to give you a bit of perspective on this, the S&P 500 um, has now had 33 consecutive sessions without moving more than 1% in either direction. Um, How quiet it is, it's just been absolutely the talk of markets everywhere. Um, Another example, um, when you look at uh, US 10-year treasuries, um, so far in August, right, they're trading in the lowest range they've seen in ten years. So people are actually, you know, poking a little bit of fun at this. Um, and uh, Jim Reed uh, from Deutsche Bank, um, who's a strategist, he writes the, the note early morning read, and he always starts it off with a sort of colourful anecdote about his real life before he gets, you know, hard into uh, a look across the asset classes um but he one of his notes um started off saying you know this week that the sun is shining markets are dull if my knee surgeon was a more understanding person i'd be sneaking off early today to squeeze in a round of golf before dark um david this is a really big change isn't it from certainly from last year uh, because this was the time that uh, china uh, devalued its currency wasn't it last august Yes, no, I think uh, anyone in financial markets remembers that uh,
2: event well. I certainly do. Just seen this uh, this sudden uh, headline came up on, uh, on Thomson Reuters and just said, "Oh yeah, currencies, uh, you know, China's yuan uh, has been uh, you know, set at this rate." I was just like, "Hang on, that looks um, looks strange." And I was like, "Yeah, this is the biggest uh, biggest one-day move ever," and I'm, that was crazy. And that sort of sparked off a, a bout of volatility and um, certainly surrounding the, uh, the Chinese economy and, uh, and capital flows that uh, or outflows from that uh, that economy. Um, it really, you said that the talk of the town has been, I uh, you know how quiet it is. I think it's the frustration by so many people as well, that there's this general malaise that's going on in the markets at the moment. No one really has any clue about what's happening. They're waiting for a whole lot of catalysts that are going to potentially move markets, which may not even move markets soon. talking about Janet Yellen's going to be uh, speaking at uh, Jackson Hole this evening. It's, uh, it's Friday when we're recording this. Um, that might not go and actually uh, deliver any volatility as well. So what do we look on beyond that? Well, we've got the start of the new month, a whole lot of data is coming out. But realistically, there's a whole lot of questions, but not really answers as to when this is going
0: to snap. Um, so um, there was um, Bank of America, uh, Merrill Lynch, pointed out this week that um, the uh, short um, vol positions, so basically just, you know options traders looking at um, you know, reductions in, in price moves, banking on, on volatility heading lower, um, are at an all time record low, right? So, um, and from that research note where they pointed that out, right? So that the they they said that complacency, um, combined with this short volatility exposure, could set up the market for a highly volati- volatile and an important word here, correlated sell off, um, in the next shock. Um, so, this is a um, uh, little bit of a worry, uh, isn't it, Matt? Because when you get volatility this low for this long, um, what tends to follow um, can sometimes be quite dramatic.
1: Yeah, so I, I think one of the, the key, um, the key uh, points to, to remind, or we've been reminding clients in the last, um, <clears throat> last few weeks, because you're right, it has been pretty slow, been treading water around the top here. Um, so yeah, you have to uh, you have to act. You have to take a view. And um, obviously, when things are very optimistic, it's usually the best time to sort of reassess um, what's going on. Positive press, positive newspapers, things when they feel complacent, it usually traditionally is a good time to sell. So I mean, we've seen markets rally. I think on the Australian market, I mean, we we, we did have a few good months, sort of um, you know July to August. The ASX went from about five thousand one hundred to, to five thousand six hundred, so that's not far off ten percent. So markets have rallied; they're trading water. Uh, time to reassess. Volatility low, complacency is low. But I mean, I have been reading a few um, articles, um, uh, you know, suggesting that, that people are actually shorting the um, the VIX index. And for listeners that maybe that aren't too familiar with um, you know the VIX or the the CBOE volatility index. It's um, it's a good read of or a good reflection of the market mood. So it rises when investors are fearful and and drops when um, investors' moods are optimistic. And at the moment we're trading in a very very low range, below moving averages and and you know uh, multi-year lows. So I think
0: 2007 was the last time it was this low.
1: Yeah, and and what is being suggested is is happening is that traders and hedge funds and big um, sophisticated money is pushing these net. Short positions, um, uh, you know, buying a lot of short positions, pushing the um, the VIX down. So, you know, if we see a volatility spike, it may just be a, a short squeeze. I think, like David um, pointed out uh, this time last year, the VIX spiked from about 30, 13 to forty in, in a few days. So, yeah, it could could be interesting to see how it unfolds.
0: Yeah, because, um, th- David, maybe do you want to talk through um, what is actually happening when you get these periods of very, very low volatility and why it can subsequently then lead to um, to larger moves?
2: Well, a lot of people are waiting for a catalyst to go and, waiting for news to go and drive the markets. At this point in time, no, there's a whole lot of questions, as I said, but no really answers. Um, people are looking to the likes of the, the US Federal Reserve, in particular at the moment, Waiting for Janet Yellen to go and speak later on this evening to go and perhaps give an indication as to when interest rates are going to be increased, um, but beyond that, uh, you know, the, the, there is just generally with no volatility, there's a, a lack of liquidity in the market as well. It's also um, holidays st- over in the
1: U.S. right now, isn't
2: it? Of course, no. You've got uh, summer holidays, and of course, we just came off the back of the Olympics, and we won't talk about the Australian performance there at all. Um, and that's obviously contributed to it as well. But there's just markets have a, an understanding at this very point in time that. Uh, central bank policy is going to be easy. When the Fed does hike again, presumably they do hike, it will not be an aggressive tightening cycle, so they know that. They know the Bank of Japan, you know, when they meet in September, is likely to go and expand their asset purchase program and, and add extra stimulus into the, uh, into the Japanese economy. So we already know that, but the question is, what's going to be the catalyst? What's going to be the event that goes and sparks about a bout of volatility? Is it going to be a whole lot of data uh, that comes out at September? One thing that, uh, that I noticed from a historical pers- uh, perspective is that the Chinese economy tends to go and slow down in the second half of the year. You have a lot of front-loading front of investment, a lot of lending goes on in the first half of the year, and it tends to taper. And you often see commodity prices will go and fall back, and then people start worrying about China. So that's what we saw last year. Uh, that's one thing that I'm looking at. Potentially could go and cause something, but the answer is no one really knows. It's, uh, it's the, the proverbial black swan that we're waiting for. Um,
0: and even um, oil—the one, um, uh, I suppose, commodity that's been moving around um, a lot this month has been oil. Um, sometimes we've seen uh, in the overnight trading sessions, seen you know moves bigger than three percent. But typically, that might you know set off you know like um, buying in resources or, um, or you know price action in in, in resources. Um, uh, the airlines tend to be, um, you know, t- pretty well correlated with, um, you know, the prices rise, airline share prices rise when uh, when oil prices fall because their margins are better. But um, this that really just hasn't been happening this time. No, not at all, no. You've still got the usual gyrations in
2: the crude oil price. Uh, it's just uh, the market's play thing this year, as it's been for uh, for many years, uh, and just 1%, 2% daily swings are uh, no, the norm now. It's not the uh, the exception.
1: Can I, can I ask you this, though? Wouldn't you have liked to go back 12 months ago or even two years ago and buy more gold stocks? Don't you think, can you see the similarities here with oil and, and gold, maybe?
2: Oh, potentially. Uh, but uh, the world, uh, world market of uh, crude markets are well supplied, uh, and I find that most of the time you see a, an increase is based on a whole lot of hopes. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, OPEC's got a meeting coming up at the end of next month as well. Uh, where there's potential for a, a production freeze, well, they may freeze, but know uh, OPEC's pumping out at the uh, at record rates right now, so they're going to they're going to be freezing at the uh, the highest levels on on record. So uh, prices going to spike as well. That goes brings
0: a whole lot of um, of supply back into the U.S. market as well. Um, Matt, just quickly, what what kind of questions are your clients asking um, this period? Because um, uh, you know, increasingly, you just hear people just wondering, like well, what are we supposed to do?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you've got uh, U.S. at all-time highs. Now we've had this lull. Um, companies have largely reported their results. Um, the market, sort of 12-month forward P.E. is quite high at the moment, so people are are wondering, you know, wh- what do we do? Where to next? Um, uh, we've been lightening into this strength, and we, we do see the market slowly continuing to move higher. Um, and in, in which case we'll be um, slowly overall equities exposure will be will be lightened um, we do potentially see some some trouble moving ahead but it 's a pretty clear picture for us now the u s has made all time highs and is holding um, these highs um, we see continued strength you know, you know usually eighty percent of the move in markets is made in the first twenty percent of the time frame um, so we 've seen that strong run we think it'll keep Creeping up slowly, in which case we 'll be starting to to put the seller 's hat on um, and also looking for trading opportunities in the meantime. but um, I think what 's really interesting at the moment, as I just sort of touched on before, is that you know when the gold price fell a couple of years back, we saw the producers over there they were cutting costs, they were selling all their you know non core non performing assets and raising capital, paying off their debt, and you would have to argue maybe the oil prices has bottomed now and um, you know, a move technically, when you're looking at these charts on the oil price, if you see a move through um, you know, some of these levels where we're at at the moment, you can you, know, you could argue that, that there might be some some pretty sharp extensions. You've got you know, bad news that's priced in. Um, it wouldn't take much, I don't think. Do you? What do you think about that? Do you
2: agree? Oh, I think that the lows have been seen for the oil price, definitely. Um, but as for you know potential upside, you know the futures curve is uh, is not suggesting that in any stretch of the imagination. There's some more bullish calls out there. Um, a lot of people pointing to like, the declining CapEx expenditure in the industry as a reason that uh, eventually is uh, you know, presuming that uh, demand keeps uh, you know, grinding higher as it's been doing recently. will eventually catch up and bring equilibrium to the market, but I certainly don't think that
0: we're going back to $100 oil plus you know, anytime soon. Wow One hundred bucks um, that was um, that feels like such a, a, a long way a uh, long time ago um, you 're listening to the devil 's and details podcast uh, from business insider australia don 't forget you can find us on iTunes where you can rate us and leave us a review okay just quickly let 's have a look at uh, reporting season. Um, sure the ASX might not be whipping around, um, but there absolutely have been some interesting corporate stories um, uh, in Australia as we 've progressed through. Uh, reporting season. So um, the the big sort of uh, the big one in the past week has been, has been Woolworths posting a 1.23 billion dollar loss, um, and the stock rallied. Um, uh, Matt, what do you think uh, is going on there?
1: Well, look, I don't think this is a new story. Um, you know, uh, over in the UK, for quite a few years ago, we saw Tesco and uh, in you know, in a very similar situation. Um, you know, with the rise of Audi and Little and um, there's not very many bullish leads that you could draw for for people like Wool, Woolworths from that. I think they, you know, some of the share prices over there are still around multi-year lows, and they're still trying to turn things around. But obviously, Woolworths the key um, the key the key there I think was that you know anyone is going to anyone that shows sort of green shoots or little incremental increases in positivity in very negative stocks they're going to be rewarded. Um, and obviously, if the market is very negative a stock, there's usually a, a, probably a good position of the, the share register that's short sold. So you get a little bit of a squeeze on them. A as bit you? of a bounce. But I mean, they actually missed their um, consensus profit by about 1%. But again, there was little improvements in, in some of the supermarket divisions that were um, communicated. And... You know, it only had to be the tiniest bit and the market just latched onto it and really went for it.
0: Well, the, uh, I think I saw uh, Deutsche Bank's um, note on on Woolworths. Was, um, the headline on it was uh, by Michael Simitas, who's a, a really great consumer sector analyst. Um, and his headline on it was, you know, one swallow does not a summer make, uh, but it does feel a little bit warmer. The, the question is, I mean, how profitable should a successful um, grocery chain
1: be? and that's a bit of a hard one to ask, but what's really obvious is Woolworth should be more profitable than than it is now, so um yeah not not a stock that that we own and and we see any rallies um subsequent to this is probably good selling opportunities for anyone that owns them.
2: Matt, I was just going to ask you. I'm not sure if you know the answer, so sorry to put you on the spot right here. Um, But how much of uh, how much you put the move down in Woolworths to short covering uh, after the result, as you said, that a lot of the bad news has been pricing. It's not a new story. How much you reckon was actually involved with uh, speculators having to be forced to go and cover their positions? I don't think it was a lot. And you know, sometimes when these things uh, are communicated out in the media,
1: media and the headlines, and you know, live results and press conferences and, you know, journalists and people and, and everyone latches onto these little sort of headlines and phrases and it's probably a little bit more obvious in retailers like your JB Hi-Fi or your, your Maya that have gone, you know, the, sh- the share price of Maya has gone from $1. twenty to almost $1. fifty in a very short period of time with about, I think, 16% of the register was short. Um, so any little bits of good news there, will send that higher and, and we're talking, you know, not four percent, like we saw in Woolworths. We're talking you know, twenty, thirty percent type jump. So that's probably a little bit more of a retail indication of short covering. But I think, yeah, look, there is a lot of money on the sidelines at the moment that's looking for a home or for value. Um, Woolworths is a you know, top. You know, I think it's still in the top twenty. It's a you know, it's a blue chip stock. People know it, pays dividends. Um, you know, you'd probably be, be a, a fair chunk of the market now anticipating the worst is over and. This presents a good place to put some funds, but um, yeah, I have to say I, I disagree, and I think this probably, you know, this is a, this is a great um, that the, there's little green shoots and and, and positive, uh, positivity coming out in the story, but you know, you have to argue that there's probably still some tough times ahead.
0: So um, the, I suppose they're now looking at um, at a turnaround strategy, and we've had a really great example this week of a company that's done that uh, really successful, and that is Qantas. Um, so, uh, 1.5 billion dollar underlying, underlying profit. Um, extraordinary turnaround from, uh, I think 2.5 billion dollar loss that they posted in their kitchen sink. Um, you know, sack 4,000, um, people, uh, restructure the airline, um, all of that stuff a few years ago. Now, um, you, you look at that and you, you look at where the company is. I think two billion dollars in cash on hand, you know, um, uh, the, the fleet is getting younger. Um, you know, people like the brand. Um, they're doing a whole bunch of things with data, um, trying to offer new, um, new uh, services to to their loyal customers. Uh, and when you think about where this was a couple of years ago, with a lot of people calling for Alan Joyce's head. Um, and you look at where he is now and I mean, I would, you know, my assessment of this is, is that the, the, the guy is probably one of the toughest CEOs, uh, in, in the country, um, if not the toughest, um, and he's, um, actually pulled off a pr- pretty extraordinary job.
1: Yeah. And geez, they're confident. Uh, I'm not sure if you watched. Well, the, it is Qantas. Yeah. Um, just a few hours before the uh, results presentation, the, hu- the hangar was filled with, um, you know, the Olympic athletes and uh, Malcolm Turnbull and smiles and photos and, you know, the Spirit of Australia type thing. So that was great. Um, But, yeah, I mean, even their their moves are showing how confident they are and probably for good uh, measure. Um, You know, they've reestablished a dividend now. Um, This is on on top of a a share buyback as well. So there's some pretty big um, uh, capital management type moves that are, are showing that they're, they're, you know, they're backing themselves. They're, they're, they're very confident in it all. And um, yeah, I mean, the, another thing that stood out from that result is that I think there was a, from all the major um, you know, investment banks and brokers, the, the eight out of eight buys were retained on the stock. So, yeah, it's all very positive. And you know, I would argue though that it, it probably, you know, if you're looking at it, um. From more of a, a a trade point of view, which you would with a, a stock like that, um, with its exposure to, to different areas, um, you know that the the majority of the moves been seen. We bought it, I think, back at about a dollar ninety, and um, and and sold it um, uh, way too early. But you know the the big the big push higher has has sort of been and gone. I think you know maybe it's a, a longer term type play. Now the um, the big moves have happened though with the um, the turnaround story actually being announced and it, and it actually being delivered on so um, yes yeah, very confident um, management though and I, I like that and I thought that was quite cool.
0: And the, the other thing of course is um, this you know just to circle back on the oil price um, oil price collapsing and I touched on this earlier um, you know and they have uh, I think I wrote about this last year that you know a huge amount of their um, oil spend um, is open to market forces they 've just got a uh, very uh, small amount of um, protection against an upside move, and they 're all ready to take the um, all the downside um, so so that 's obviously uh, and I think if you look at the chart, um, you follow the oil price, you take the uh, Qantas share price and invert it and um, uh, it 's um, a pretty close uh, correlation that 's not to um, dismiss of course in any way um, the importance of the um, of you know getting rid of all of those uh, um all of the, the the labor costs um and and the legacy um structures that were in place and the older fleet um absolutely central to it but um clearly um you know when your biggest uh, at the cost of one of your biggest inputs um is falling like that's going to help the business
2: oh, oil's definitely been a major factor and um i wonder just what their hedging strategy is going to be in the uh, the, f- the period ahead with uh, with crew prices where they are at the moment um, the other thing, of course, you can't discount is the record number of level of tourism that's currently in Australia right now. Uh, you have to look at uh, China's recently uh, displaced New Zealand as the uh, the greatest source of inbound tourism, um, and I can't help but thinking that's also helping the other uh, turnaround story.
1: I was just going to say a, a really uh, fundamental way to look at it is um, uh, my new fiance Maya. Um, oh, congratulations! Yeah, thank you guys. She travels quite a lot for work, and she was telling me the huge difference that. Um, that happened, or she she's experienced recently with Qantas versus, you know, 12 months ago or or two years ago, and then the the, sh- the sheer difference in using that, uh, like other airlines like Virgin and some of their competitors in comparison, is just sort of they're not on the same playing field anymore. Qantas is leaps and bounds ahead. Um, yeah. yeah,
0: isn't isn't that interesting? Because you know, t- typically the prices are higher. Obviously, you got you've got lower cost competitors. Um, and not just for the domestic routes, but also for um, destinations like Singapore, um, ferocious competition in the international uh, market. Um, but, um, you know, people still, and I think it's really, really, it's obviously the importance of delivering ex- excellent service um, in, you know, in, in this kind of sector, because that's the only thing that will tip a customer over the edge in, in order to, you know, if they think, well, look, I might pay the few hundred do- extra dollars. Um, to, for the international flight because it's Qantas.
1: Technology, convenience, um, check-ins, all that type of stuff, yeah. It's a, a very material difference.
0: Yeah, um, and I think one of the things I saw is they're going to start streaming live cricket um, on the... Uh, oh,
1: perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Stream a few beers too. Yeah, I, I gather,
2: given the performance of the Australians over in Sri Lanka, I'm sure that'll probably go and help boost booze sales in the process. So. Um,
0: Fantastic. Uh, and just quickly, uh, Blackmore's. So we saw Woolworths. You know, um, you know, the, the 1.2 billion dollars loss. The stock goes up seven percent. Blackmore's profit up 115 percent to 100 million dollars, and um, the, the 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 shares got completely smoked.
1: Yeah, Blackmore's um, market darling of recent times, and um, a lot of optimism built into the stock. I think on the day it reported, it dropped around twenty percent or, or something like that. So that just shows you or highlights uh, one of the other key themes of um, reporting season so far this year is the risk of these growth stocks and how they're priced at the moment, and should they, you know, not over. Go over and above or you know absolutely wow the market with their results the potential um, there is for for downturn in the share price so the key takeout for blackmores is that they only showed marginal growth from q1 to q4 and and that 's not the numbers that a growth stock trading on you know thirty times earnings um, you know should be should be reporting or should be putting out there to the market and um, I think they had uh, some expenses that rose and whatnot. I, I overheard. I think on the day that they, they started handing out bonuses, so it sounds like it's quite happy times over at Blackmoor's. But um, yeah, you've got to you've got to back it up with the numbers if you, you're trading on those multiples. And the market sort of showed um, showed what they do with stockside time. Yeah, sure.
0: um, and uh, and look, I suppose one of the other parts of that is Blackmoor's. You know. The reason it went nuts was you know this whole entry into China, and um, it's you know starting to sell um, I think it was the deal it did to start selling formula and um, so there was this whole um, uh, you know euphoria hysteria even around um infant formula being sold into China, but I think uh, Blackmore's is now maybe finding um or you know and they're being straight about it with the market, but you know china's the Chinese market is a, maybe a little bit of a tougher nut to crack than um, uh, than they thought. The one thing that always strikes me with, with vitamins as well is
2: that it's. I know you've got the brand reputation and the like, but it's kind of like a generic product. And it's always struck me as being uh, it's, Black & Walls is massive. It's, the, the push into China looks so promising. But I just wonder in the future, there's a whole lot of other brand names out there who have got probably equally as good reputation but probably just aren't as well known in China. Uh, if they were to go and get that same impact, what that will potentially do to, to black And when you look at the chart, especially with, uh, with black moors, it looked very, very hot, like way too hot. Uh, and as we've seen in recent times, I uh, know when things are hot and then all of a sudden it's going to be very hard to go and please the market.
0: Um, but I suppose part of this too is um, that um, in China there's a big market for Australian sort of clean and green brands. And I think... Blackmore's is sort of riding that wave, but Dave, you're, I think you're, you're dead right. One of the things about this kind of product is that there can be another brand that comes along, and if it suddenly finds favor, it's kind of easy to replace, if you like. Um, speaking of um, government-controlled um, you know, where, where, uh, areas where there is close government control of, of, uh, of certain products, the taxi industry. Um the Victorian government this week announced it was going to legalise ride-sharing services in the state and it would compensate drivers with a $378 million relief package. Um, now, it's it's plate owners. Um, so And how they're going to fund this is um, by um, mugging punters, right? So, um, they, they, you know, everybody gets a $2 surcharge on taxi rides in Victoria for the next eight years. Well, fantastic. You know, um, just, just terrific. I mean, look... If it's a government com- compensation package, we're going to be paying anyway, so maybe a smart way to do it is um, you know just be upfront about it and add it onto a, a daily transaction and so you can you can kind of see it all happening you know it would be, you know it'll be coming out of our pockets um, uh, in, in any case but you know Victoria's not alone in this. New South Wales has a 250 million dollar compensation package. Queensland's going to have hundred million bucks. WA 27.5 million bucks, South Australia 34 million dollars. Now, look, taxi industry a little bit different um, to other uh, sectors. Arguably, you know, the government has an important role in overseeing and you know people's, I suppose, permission to conduct, conduct any type of business. But the government did um, control. The taxi plate market um, very carefully now. The value of those taxi plates just got destroyed um, uh, over the last few years with the arrival of, um, of 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 Uber and so on. But I think the thing here is, um, tell me what you think of this map. But a lot of people um, whose jobs have been upended uh, in the last few years. I mean, you look at um, let's just take booksellers. For example, uh, people in boutique boutique retail, and this is you know something I was writing about this week. But booksellers, boutique retail, um, people in the airline industry, um, stockbrokers. Stockbrokers. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, well, and look, you know, to bring it even closer to home, journalists, um, and you know, and and a lot of people have been through a lot of pain, um, uh, and sort of um, and had to, you know, there's certainly no government handouts. Um, uh, for people who've been through this. So um, what's your take on this? What, do you think that given what the way the government control the taxi plate licences, um, you know, do you think this is fair?
1: Well, yeah, this is, like you just pointed out, disruption, um, industries that change and move around. I mean, I think they've had a very good for, for a very long period of time taxis. And Trust me. Every every day it seems like I um I hear the hear the story from the um you know every time you're going to a meeting or jumping into a cab or, you know Uber this and uh, you know that type of thing. But, um I don't know. Does it? I I a great example. Yesterday I was getting a cab and I was talking to the the cab driver about Uber, um about all these different things that are going on within his industry and he said, I'm still making the same money that I did, you know. Five five years ago, two years ago, He says it all evens out in the wash. Um, yeah, you know, there's always going to be the need for cabs. There's always going to be, and he he referenced it perfectly to the um, the morning I was having. I'd I'd run straight out of a, I think of a coffee shop and hailed a cab and jumped straight in, and it was on a busy road. And he said, "Well, look, you know, could you Uber just pull up like that? And as soon as you were there, you would have to stand there on the app, and you know uh, that type of thing." And when they, uh, when they are when they are busy, they up the fares, and when it's quiet, you get a little bit of a discount. And it all kind of evens out in the end, and, and I don't know all that type of thing. But um, I think it's I think it's good. I think you know it's made a lot of people within the industry sort of. Tidy up their game a bit and um, and and figure out sort of how they can become more appealing, and that's always a good thing. When you well,
0: look, absolutely, and well, look, I, you have to have a little bit of sympathy if, for you know people who had you know a plate that they bought for several hundred thousand dollars, and now, they, now they've seen the, the value of that asset you know reduce to to almost well to a small fraction of that. But uh, I, I still do think most people looking at this um, will remember the days only a matter of years ago when, you know, you'd try to get a cab on the side of a street and the guy'd pull over and hey, might be late at night and where are you going? Sorry, mate? I'm yeah, booked. Yeah, you're not going, well, what, you mean you're not going to the airport or you're not going to Palm Beach? Well, I'm, you know. <laughs> uh, um, hasn't that happened to everyone? Yeah. Um, and also sometimes, and particularly in Victoria, geez, um, I remember getting into some cabs down there years ago and they were disgusting. Um, yeah, yeah, just dirty and you know, um, and they like go know. the
1: wrong way and take you the long way—all those cliche cab driver stories. But yeah, I mean, it only takes one or two bad cab drivers for everyone to 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 think like that, like anything. But yeah, I, I don't—I have to be honest, with you, I don't know too much about the plate situation and the the politics behind it. But um, yeah, maybe we get a bit of a opinion from Dave on that.
2: I think it's a very dangerous precedent, is, uh, is my personal opinion. Um, having seen firsthand uh, some of the prices that uh, investors, who we'll call them uh, the taxi plate owners, they're investors by and large, a lot of people who weren't actually directly involved with the cabs, they were just buying the plates as an investment. I remember going back a few years, seeing taxi plates being sold for over 500,000 Australian dollars. And I just thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. Like, there's got to be a better investment out there looking at all these things. And this, mind you, was when Uber was already starting out in the US. And it was only a matter of time till it was a success story there already that it was going to start infiltrating elsewhere. Um, and people were still willing to go into that. So if everyone makes a, a poor investment decision, should we start bailing out every single person who makes a poor investment decision? Uh, well, that's
1: true too. You've got to know your risks.
2: Exactly right. And like, well, if you, on the site yesterday, there's a uh, well-documented uh, Domino's Pizza is, uh, is going to start trialing uh, uh, drone oh, deliveries.
1: What a
2: laugh. You, you, you laugh about it. But you no, know, at some point in time, I think it's actually going to be a legitimate thing. You, know, you see, um, who is it? Uh, is, it not, is it not eBay? One of the other big uh, Amazon. Amazon's uh, is, is doing uh, a similar test uh, test run at the moment too. So if that becomes mainstream in the years ahead, and look, he's to say it won't, uh, does that mean that we should go and start uh, compensating every delivery driver out there because of the job they're going to lose? It's
0: this is where it's the, the absolutely minefield, and where does it stop? And I have to say, I'm also brilliant from from Domino's, uh, which is you know for the you know guys who make pizza, incredibly yeah, they're, innovative. They're a company. technology company that's now, right. apparently. Yeah, well, everybody's a dude, That's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think you know, look, just a fantastic strategy. Can you imagine sitting at home and going, well, you know. There's drone delivered. What do we do tonight? I don't know. There's drone delivered pizza. We get one of those. Yeah, let's jump in, you know. And oh, there's a $10 surcharge for, um, for getting your, your pizza delivered by. It doesn't rain. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> in we go. Um, and I think, you know, really, really interesting um, uh, marketing strategy, but also, obviously, uh, you know, intensely disruptive for the, um, the pizza delivery uh, uh, labor force.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, drones aren't even allowed to, to fly within. Thirty meters of buildings at the moment are they and i don't know it's new zealand they're starting it in so they've got you
0: know they're a bit more lax there but uh, you know yeah, yeah the, the, you know the four planes that come in and out of uh, auckland every day or whatever it is
1: yeah i mean it's pretty convenient i mean th- there's so much money that's been made in this delivery food delivery space um over the last sort of six to twelve months i mean I remember when there was just Menulog and that was it, and now there's you know, Menulog and Deliveroo and Uber Eats and Foodora, and uh, we're looking through the latest retail um, sales numbers recently, and um, huge, huge gains over the last 6 to 12 months in that space. That, the amount of money that's being made in that space at, at, at the moment is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, Menulog
0: is amazing, um, you know, and one of the things that we use Menulog... Um, Maybe a couple of times a month. And one of the great things about it is it's just so convenient. You just look on there. It's just like two clicks, and you've got you know, the thing that you really like that you tried a couple of months ago, and you're back on. Just
1: little blokes on bikes with the little fridge packs everywhere yeah. around the city. Yeah, it's, right. it's all happening.
0: Um, yeah, and, um, look, uh, of course, my, you know, my comment about, uh, the four planes, um, flying in and out of Auckland, you know, that's, um, obviously we love our, 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 Kiwi brethren, um, but it's just my way of, um, getting one back on them after the, 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 um, the shambles last week, um, with the Wallabies. Anyway, um, quickly wrap up on some more sport. Um, uh, it is coming up to September. It is that time of the year looking at the AFL table, lo and behold, glory be the Sydney Swans are top of the ladder, um, followed by the mighty crows of Adelaide. Um, so guys, what are you looking ahead to, um, for, um, uh, the, the next few weeks?
2: Hopefully some warmer weather and a couple of Swans victories and then a uh, grand final. That'll be uh, perfect. Um yeah, it's uh, it's it's money into the season. It's uh, final rounds coming up. Uh, I know the Swans are playing uh, Richmond tomorrow, the SCG, and I'll be out there. Um, it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to come down to four teams, uh, Swans, Crows, Geelong, and Hawthorne. They're, they're my four who are going to go and take out the flag, but you could probably throw a tissue over all of them in terms of uh, you know, who's actually going to be the, uh, the, the mob who, uh, who wins. I desperately hope it's going to be the Swans. Uh, it's... Actually, it hasn't been too long between drinks, but, you know, I just like winning. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been an interesting season. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple of teams out there, you know, Essendon, uh, Pies, the likes who are probably uh, looking forward to seeing the back end of, uh, of 2016. Um, I don't know. Have you, have you guys got any interest? Uh... Hang on. What's the difference between a
1: firefighter and an Essendon player?
2: <laughs> can we say? Can we answer this without uh, getting into any legal trouble?
1: Firefighters climb le- climb the ladder, as the
2: they are uh, a little bit different. <laughs> Excellent joke. And <laughs> I don't know, not have you got have you got any uh, interest in the AFL at all?
0: Yeah, I do. Look, um, uh, you know, I've been a, a Swan supporter not just from living in, um, in, in Sydney, but also through the great connection that uh, Ireland had with the Swans through Ty Kennelly. Um that, you know, really ignited sort of the Sydney Irish community, um, interest in the Sydney Irish community around the team. Um, and, um, you know, you, you also had, um, uh, you know, the international rules games and you had uh, the famous Barry Hall um, being involved in that and um, some of the dust-ups that, you know, just, it just kind of thing. That, so I used to go to Swans games uh, quite regularly. Um, uh, but I haven't uh, done so as much uh, uh, as much uh, in recent seasons. Um, I've been actually spending, you know, when I can get out, uh, try to go to the Waratahs. Um, so, yeah, I'll look, I'll be hoping for a Swans victory. Um, I, I've really enjoyed the, um, the Swans-Hawthorne rivalry um, the last few years. Those games have been fantastic, always um, very entertaining and um, and you know so much at stake and so much atmosphere and so on um, so um, that, I think that'd be that 'd be my ideal uh, final um to see uh, Sydney taking on Hawthorne in a real blockbuster it 's very rare that i 'll go and cheer for the uh,
2: for the pies, but uh, this week i 'll be desperately cheering for the pies uh, because i 'd love to go and see Hawthorne knocked out of the uh, the top four and then have an elimination final against someone like uh no, who could it be maybe like uh, just having a look here at the uh the the, the thing the oh the eagles could be uh, would be good it's going over there or something like that but uh look uh, it's going to be a really tight final series there's no clear-cut favorite uh, which is great Uh, I'm sure that uh, if the Swans do go and uh, manage to go and kick on towards the grand final, it'll be through a series of nail-biting wins like they always do, but maybe the last kick of the game, who knows. But uh, no, everyone out there who's an AFL fan, I hope you enjoy the uh, other final series.
1: Guys, I'll be watching the the Belgian... Grand Prix this weekend. Daniel Ricciardo, he won here a few years ago. Um, you know they've just had their summer break, the sort of the, the European break in the middle of the uh, season. It's the back half now, and he's he's third on the ladder. And yeah, rock
2: and roll. Yeah, you know Spa was uh, never traditionally a strong uh, circuit for the Red Bulls, but uh, now they've done alright. So uh, against the the Ferrari or the, not the Ferraris, the uh, Mercedes should I say? Um, yeah, I'll be watching that as well. So um, I still love the uh, the F1, despite the uh, the dominance of Mercedes. And well, re- it was in
1: 2014 when he won. Um- that was the year that they both crashed into each other. You know, the, the two Mercs at the front, and they cleared the path for him. So. That's exactly right. That's the win. That was uh, the best that's, race. That's when in the last couple Lewis of years. goes.
2: Nick, you know, Lewis had another whinge and said, "I oh, know, Nico hit me." Yeah. It was, uh, it was the, uh, <laughs> the thing I remember. It's uh, replayed over and over again. I'm sure we'll see it again coming up. And now that uh, Spa's back on, I think we have uh, Monza after that. Then. Bring on uh, Singapore GP where I'll be lucky enough to go and be a teny as well and then uh, Malaysia's after that. So a lot of a uh, lot of stuff for the F one fans out there as well. Exactly, yeah. It should be all for the Asian time zone, no. So instead of this no ten o'clock starts yeah. on a fr- on a Sunday night, no, it should be all uh no, prime the time
0: zone. I think it's a really good uh, reflection of uh, just how dull markets have been that uh, uh, the most animated discussion has been around um, the Swans, Hawthorne and uh, and the F1. You've been listening to the Devils in Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. You can find us on the web at businessinsider.com.au. The podcast is on iTunes uh, where you can uh, subscribe, uh, rate us, uh, leave us a review. Um, The show is uh, produced by Josh Nicholas. And this week we've been joined by Matt Felsman from APP Security. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. And David, thanks uh, again for, chi- for chipping in. Um, looking forward to perhaps a, a bit more action in the coming weeks. We can only hope. And that's the message to you, Janet. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Today's episode was delivered by Australia Post. They put everything behind your business, helping you save time and money. And with my post business, you can save at least 10% when you send on average five eligible parcels a week. Get more info and see the terms and conditions at auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.